the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners. Welcome to yet another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. For those of you that have been keeping up with us, you may know that for the last two episodes, we have been doing a series of Beatles covers and the different funk and soul arts that cover their many varying songs. That's true. This is the third and final installment in our, I guess, Beatles trilogy. Yes. Where we will be wrapping up uh, more artists that have covered some of their stuff, because as we, I think we said in previous episodes, we found so much stuff, we could not cram it into one episode. <laughs> I felt it deserved a trilogy of episodes. Yes. And there's even more beyond the ones that we're talking about in these three episodes, but these are ones that we especially liked and we wanted to highlight for you. Indeed. Because the number of, of people who have covered Beatles songs is mind-boggling. So. It's absolutely ridiculous, because it's like a surefire hit. Right. It's like, oh, you covered a Beatles song, better get famous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Would you like to start us off with our first song, Mr. Kyle? Yeah, sure. Okay. The first song we got um, for today's episode is the Beatles song Come Together, which is covered by the Brothers Johnson. Now, the original song Come Together was written by John Lennon for their album Abbey Road, massive album, which was released in October of 1969. The song's verses were speculated to each be about one of the members of the band. Quote, he's one holy roller, allegedly refers to the spiritually inclined George Harrison, Quote, he got monkey finger, he shoot Coca-Cola to Rinko Star, the funny beetle. And, quote, he got Ono sideboard, he won spinal cracker to Lennon himself. And, quote, got to be good looking because he's so hard to see to Paul McCartney. Okay, I don't even know what I just read because I forgot that the <laughs> um, lyrics of the song are completely nonsensical. Yeah, the, the lyrics of the... I mean, this is like later in their career, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is so they become like, a lot more um, experimental, and the yeah. the lyrics start to make a lot less sense yeah. than they I, did um, earlier in their career. So I totally forgot. I'm just like, oh wait, this is the song that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but <laughs> it's um, it's something I never really thought about before. You know, in itself, it doesn't make any sense. But um, they supposedly can re- be referring to each of the members of the band, which is kind of a interesting take on that. Yeah, I, I never knew that. I just assumed it was a bunch of crap nonsense that they put because it sounded... <laughs> well, it could be. I mean, this is just uh, a theory. Okay, so question, though, because the one that says um, he's he got monkey finger, he shoot Coca-Cola, referring to Ringo Starr, does that mean he did Coke? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> I don't I do, get that. I do know that I also read about that line, actually, he shoot Coca-Cola. The BBC uh, banned this song because they were suspecting that that line was product placement for Coca-Cola. Really? Yeah. That's dumb. No, I just, I don't know. He, sh- You think, you know, shoot, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, and I'm still trying to figure it out. So, yeah, getting back to, um, I guess, the the Brothers Johnson cover version of the song. Ah! Get off my desk! <laughs> getting, our show has been usurped by a kitten. I'm kidding. Okay, sorry, go ahead. It's cool. So yeah, getting back to the Brothers Johnson's cover um, of the song Come Together, they covered this song on their debut album, Look Out for Number One, which was released in 1976. The duo of the Brothers Johnson is from Los Angeles, and they're known for some of their funky hits like I'll Be Good to You, Stomp, Strawberry Letter 23, and Get the Funk Out of My Face. Yeah, good songs. Yes, I actually have the album that has Strawberry Letter 23 somewhere in my room. The, uh, oh, the vinyl? The LP, yeah. That's cool. So, pretty cool. So, yeah, Brothers Johnson, good funky band. 
let's listen to a little clip of their version of Come Together because they obviously infuse a bit of their funkiness that is inherent to their style into the song that already makes like absolutely no sense <laughs> so it takes it to, to like this really cool level Yeah, uh, I like this version. It's like you said, it's they really infused it with their their funky sound and yeah, it's a good good song. Indeed. Um, so what do we got up next, Mr. Peter? Um, our next song comes from English rock and blues singer Joe Cocker, who did a cover of the Beatles song with a little help from my friends. The the Beatles version of this song was originally included on their album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in nineteen sixty seven. And the song was written for and sung by Ringo Starr who usually didn't get a whole lot of uh, attention in the band, I guess. Maybe as much. The character that they talk about in this album, uh, Billy Shears, is played by Ringo in these songs. So that's pretty cool. I can take it. In the previous episode or two, we've talked about um, occasions where where, uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney would co-write a song, and then usually Lennon would take all the credit, and then they would cause some tension between the two of them. Uh Even in the cases where McCartney was the one who mostly wrote it. Mm Mm-hmm. I noticed that in this one, Lennon has actually said in many interviews that McCartney was the one who wrote most of the song. He only contributed a few lines. So that I guess this is one case where he actually told the truth <laughs> instead of taking all the credit. So I thought that was good. Maybe he only takes credit on the songs he likes. Maybe he didn't like the song. <laughs> Perhaps. So yeah, I thought that was good. <laughs> we, kind of, we kind of talked uh, crap about John Lennon before. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> felt bad. I was like, he's dead. We kind of talked crap on him, but oh well. But he's still cool. Yeah. Anyway, so Joe Cocker, his version is actually a very different arrangement from the original. It sounds completely different. And he actually performed this at Woodstock in 1969. I think that really got his career going, I suppose. Wasn't Joe Cocker part of a larger band at one point? He probably was. He was pretty famous. I guess he's just an English rock and blues singer who was popular in the 60s. He's known for his gritty voice and for covering Beatles songs. (laughs) So. And like I said earlier, this uh, this one is pretty famous. Bit more of a rock slash almost gospel-y sound at parts. And like I said, definitely a lot different from the, from the original. Why don't we go ahead and listen to a clip and you can kind of get a sense for this completely different arrangement that we were talking about. Yeah, that definitely was a pretty good song. I could definitely hear the, I guess, gospel overtones to it, which I did, because Joe Cocker, that was a big influence for him, was that and blues, so he mm-hmm. obviously put a lot of that into it, into the stuff he did do. Yeah. So, good stuff. Joe Cocker's a good guy. Famous in the 60s. Yeah. For our next song in our lineup, we want to talk about the song Get Back, which is covered by the very famous and sexy soul singer Al Green, who I think we said in a prior episode yes. that he may be the sexiest singer, possibly only second to Marvin Gaye. <laughs> With this song, Get Back, we actually meant to talk about this when we uh, mentioned the I Contain Turner version back, way back when we did part one, but that's cool. We, they, I like I like Al Green, so the Al Green version is probably pretty good as well. Yeah. Well, they said they sound a lot different, um, uh, which is why we were going to talk about both. I'm not sure how they got separated, but so yes, we did, we did talk about an I Contain Turner version of Get Back a couple episodes ago. Okay. Uh, but now we have the, the Al Green version. I can take it. So, 
with this particular song, like his cover of I Want to Hold Your Hand, which we mentioned in part two, this cover of Get Back comes from his album Green and Blues, which is released in April of 1969, just four days after the Beatles version. Wow. Yeah, I was was wondering how that was possible because the Beatles version came out on like the 11th of April of that year, and then his album, which includes his cover of it, came out on the 15th, I think. I so I wasn't really sure how... I mean, I guess... They must have been playing it on the radio and stuff, and then yeah. they released it after it, that. I guess it, it may have been like a single or something. Yeah, or they may he may have just had some connection where he could get a hold of the music. Yeah, I don't know, but I thought I thought that thought that was pretty interesting because I mean I think because we we sometimes we talk about you know how long it was between the original release and the cover. Mm-hmm. I think this takes the cake for being being the quickest one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's nuts. Al Green is known for doing a good, good couple of Beatles stuff, and he he adds his soulful, very falsetto, I guess, voice um, to it, which I think sounds pretty cool. So let's take a little listen to a clip of Get Back, covered by Al Green. Green's version is because, like we mentioned, you get a lot of the what's called the Memphis sound mm-hmm. um, with his music because he was kind of uh, one of the main influences of the Southern Soul sound during this time. So I can take it. Yeah. What's coming up next, Mr. Peter? So that was in 1969. We're actually going to fast forward in time a little bit here to a more recent cover. Peter, by, Peter, Peter. Yes. Where we're we going? Do we need roads? Are we going to space? I suppose Peter? technically not. If it's Peter, are we Peter? Are we going to space? We are sure. Okay. Yes. This cover was done by Roberta Flack. We've talked about on the show a number of times before. She was a um, pretty famous, uh, popular soul singer in the late '60s and early '70s. Uh, she did a lot of solo work, like "Killing Me Softly" with his song, and also many uh, duet collaborations with uh, soul singer Donny Hathaway. But this cover of the Beatles song "In My Life" actually comes from her 2012 album "Let It Be, Roberta." which features all contemporary R&B Beatles covers. And there are actually some really good ones on this album. And this is one of my favorites. It's funny to see her doing something so recently because like I said, she was mostly in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't know that she was even still making music. Yeah. Neither did I. But that's cool. Also the fact that it was released this last year and it was all Beatles covers. I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, the music is still popular to this day and it shows the influence that it gives other artists. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm little background on the original version of the song by the Beatles. It was part of their Rubber Soul album in 1965. This one is actually written mostly by John Lennon with some minor contributions by Paul McCartney. And I think McCartney wanted more credit because usually I think it was the other way around where McCartney wrote most of the lyrics mm-hmm. and Lennon would write a few and then he would get all fussy because he didn't, he wanted the most credit. So I think this was actually um, reversed. They're just like two little babies arguing over a pacifier. I didn't know this, but the Rolling Stone cites In My Life as the 23rd best song of all time. Really? And I think it was, was like number five best um, Beatles song. So it's I, and I didn't realize it was rated so highly. See, now you now you, now you know how I feel. Remember that one song that you said was really popular? And yeah. I didn't even know it was a Beatles song? Yeah. Now you know my, my true feelings. You will suffer as I did. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a Beatles song, but I, just, I, get, I didn't realize it was that popular, like in the top. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't either. So mm, that's, guess that's kind of cool. Sh- we share song. that we share that ignorance together for this one. So a good um, I don't know math, but sometime between 
1965 and 2012. That's a lot of years. Um, why don't we go ahead and listen to Roberto Flack's version of In My Life. Not only is this cut this and like a new take on the original song, but I think it's also kind of a new take on her sound as well. Yeah. Because the it, like just hearing it by itself, I wouldn't have recognized it as being her. Uh, I guess just because I'm more familiar with her early stuff, she seems to have developed a more contemporary R&B type sound, which I guess is more popular nowadays. Mm. But yeah, the album was called Let It Be. Roberta came out last year. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it's it's good to know that she's actually still about and making music, especially yeah. since she was so popular in the sixties and seventies. That was a long time ago, so she's got to be fairly aged by now, like a, like a nice wine. That's true. Or cheese. So yeah, good the stuff. Roberta Flack is like old cheese. <laughs> <laughs> the next song we got in our repertoire is the song "I've Got a Feeling," covered by Billy Preston, who is one of my personal favorite artists. This song, I've Got a Feeling, originally came off the Beatles' last album, Let It Be, in 1970, and is pieced together from three different unfinished songs. Billy Preston um, is actually, it's kind of funny because he actually has a really unique relationship with the Beatles among artists that we've discussed because he is one of the few that was actually really close friends with them. He actually played the electric piano on their version of this particular song, and his version was on his album Encouraging Words, which was released under Apple Records, the Beatles' record label shows how intertwined they are i guess as artists that's pretty yeah. cool. the album actually features george harrison on various instrumentals and as a writer on some of the songs on billy's album yeah so they were they were apparently pretty close friends yeah to the f- point that you know george is helping out billy and vice versa yeah among other personnel on the album were actually ringo Starr on drums and eric clapton on electric guitar Ooh, good stuff yeah i like eric clapton so yeah billy preston awesome artist you guys gotta check him out he's one of my favorites he has a cool afro he does have a very, he has, um, among the world of afros that was the early 70s, his was probably the most finely pruned. Like, <laughs> like, you know, in like rich people's, rich people's houses where they have bushes that like they have gardeners cut into shapes of things like dolphins <laughs> or elephants. He was so good at pruning his afro, he could have pruned it into like a giraffe, which actually would, would have been really cool. But his afro is like, like perfectly spherical. I would, I would be interested to measure the radius of Billy Preston's afro. <laughs> um, okay, so um, off of afro circumferences, let's listen to a little clip of Billy Preston's cover of I've Got a Feeling, originally done by the Beatles. I've got a feeling Everybody knows Oh yeah, yeah Oh yeah Oh yeah Oh Very much Billy Preston's sound, but also very Beatles-esque, obviously, more so because he was, what's the word, integral in the creation of the original. Yeah. So he had more he had more of a position than most artists to cover these songs to kind of make it his own because he helped with the original version. And then obviously, like, stuff that maybe he thought he wanted to add, but, you know, mm. couldn't because it wasn't his song, yeah. he threw into his cover version, which is really cool. Yeah, I, I want to say that he uh, he did work on other songs of theirs as well. I can't name any on the top of my head, but I did read a little bit that they were pretty closely related and they worked a lot together. So that wasn't something that I really knew before this, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it said that he actually helped a great deal on their album, Let It Be, 
Let me just read this little quote uh, from the Washington Post that I pulled up here that's actually okay. really interesting. Okay. Quote, they'd hook up again in 1969 when the Beatles were about to break up while recording their last album they released, Let It Be. They would later record Abbey Road, which was actually released prior to Let It Be. George Harrison, a friend of Preston, had quit, walked out of the studio, and gone to a Ray Charles concert in London, where Preston was playing organ. Harrison brought Preston back to the studio, where his keen musicianship and gregarious personality temporarily calmed the tension. <laughs> So Preston was like a force for good in making the Beatles not pissed at each other because he's that awesome. His afro has magical powers to yes. calm people. Maybe that's why Ray Charles had him in his concert. Yeah, Ray Charles would just like like randomly just go up to Billy and just feel his afro, and then it would calm him down. Yes. Because he's blind. <laughs> he, he he was blind, so he couldn't see Billy Preston, but he could feel him. That, exactly. Yeah, he just he, he just like starts squeezing on. But let's like you know like you have like a stress ball. Yeah. B- Billy Preston's afro <laughs> was Ray Charles' stress ball. <laughs> so that's an interesting theory. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this like one of those like soul folk tales. Okay. So yeah, that that's an interesting little tidbit. We can't really say that about any of the other. Um artists that we've talked about here because these i mean they're all separate from the beatles whereas he was actually working with them that's kind of cool indeed what do we got next mr peter we got uh the fun little song obladi oblada by the beatles <laughs> i don't know why we always feel the need to to establish that for every song <laughs> hey hey by the way guys guys the song is by the beatles wow is your, is your mind just blown <laughs> yes this cover was done by Arthur Conley. The original was included on the Beatles' 1968 album, also called The Beatles, uh, but more commonly known as The White Album. Despite being pretty popular in many countries when it was released, it wasn't actually released as a single in the U.S. until eight years later, in 1976. That is odd. Um, yeah, I'm not sure why. Maybe it had something in it that the FCC didn't like, I don't know. I don't know. Arthur Conley, he was a, a soul singer. He released this cover as the opening track to his 1969 album, More Sweet Soul. The song features legendary guitarist Dwayne Allman of the Allman Brothers Band, and I didn't actually know this, but he's ranked as the number two guitarist of all time, outranked only by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. So like, I didn't know he was... I like I knew he was popular, but I didn't know he was that popular. The Allman, the Allman Brothers Band is basically like the one band that anyone who likes rock music can agree is an amazing band. Mm-hmm. Like, no bones about it. So They're, actually, they're pretty darn good. I actually, so apparently he's number two. I was I was record store surfing today and I saw one of their big uh their I think their second biggest album because they are so popular this record was which was in that fantastic shape was selling for fifty five dollars oh wow because they are that sought after well, there so you go cool. but yeah I, I think it's cool that someone that famous was on this album mm-hmm. by a song singer who I wouldn't say was one of the most popular um but I think he got around a little bit at least why don't we go ahead and listen to clip. Arthur Conley's version of Obladi Oblada. I think the Beatles version was a little bit more fun and whimsical sounding, whereas his is a little bit harsher, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Talking about Dwayne Almond makes me really want some almonds. <laughs> I don't know why I always associate the two. <laughs> good stuff. Arthur Conley, good artist. Definitely much more, I guess, I don't want to say indie, but much more obscure in the funk and soul realm. Yeah. Because I, I only know like this and one other song by him. Yeah. 
our last song, and this is actually the last song of the entirety of our Beatlemania three-part series, so you guys should feel really excited by now. The last song we want to cover for this episode is The Long and Winding Road, originally by the Beatles, <laughs> uh, and covered by Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul herself. Okay. The original song was included near the end of the Beatles' last album, Let It Be, which is ironic because this is near this is near the end of our episode. <laughs> and the song features Billy Preston on the Hammond organ. So there you go. I think we just we just established that when I read that quote. Yeah. Paul McCartney originally wrote the song at his farm in Scotland, and was inspired by the growing tension among the Beatles. Quote, he said, I just sat down at my piano in Scotland, started playing, came up with that song, imagining it was going to be done by someone like Ray Charles. I've always found inspiration in the calm beauty of Scotland, and again, it proved to be the place where I found inspiration. I thought that was kind of cool. Interestingly, this song is actually cited as one of the, quote, last straws that split up the group. Post-recording modifications by producer Phil Spector, oh god, that guy were apparently completely different from the group's original intention for how it would sound. Peter Brown, one of the personnel, recalled, quote, he wanted tape echo on everything. He had to take a different pill every half hour and had his bodyguard with him constantly. He was on the point of throwing a wobbly, saying, quote, I want to hear this, I want to hear that, I must have this, I must have that. Basically, he reworked the entire song as an orchestral arrangement, whereas the Beatles wanted it to sound like a, quote, real session recording. Yeah. Yeah, Phil Spector, among other things, kind of like, known as the guy that helped break up the Beatles, so people yeah. kind of really don't like him. Interestingly, there was an HBO movie special uh, that I think just recently aired, or maybe airing very soon. It's a biopic about Phil Spector, and he's being mm. played by Al Pacino. That sounds so cool. if you guys know anything about that or want to check it out, I just saw a commercial for it on HBO. Mm. Sounds pretty cool, but yeah, Phil Spector, remember he was in the news like six or seven years ago because like, he murdered somebody, basically? I don't remember that. Oh, it was huge. I don't know. I don't remember the details at all. I just remember it was big. I mean, hear it, just hearing about like how unstable. Yeah, he was he basically is, like a. I'm he, not was, that surprised. he was basically like a control freak and kind of like paranoid, schizophrenic type guy, mm-hmm. and always has been. So he's kind of like reviled in the music industry. It's weird because when I was gonna say he's in jail now. So. Oh, okay, I remember I was reading about kind of how this song was part of the reason that they end up, ended up breaking up because Paul McCartney was... Because he's the one who wrote the song and he was really furious about how Phil Spector handled the song. Mm. And then he had... And then when he had, like, the like the legal breaking up of, of the Beatles and everything, mm-hmm. he had, like, six main points, which were, like, the reasons for it. And, and Phil Spector's production of this song was one of those six reasons. Wow. So, I mean, it was that important to him. Again, with a band as big as the Beatles... Even if someone is like this Phil Spector guy is helping produce the song, does he really have the last say in a situation like that? I mean, it's the Beatles. They basically should be able to get what they want with their own music. Yeah, I don't know. Like, seriously, what kind of a hissy fit do you have to throw to like, get your way like that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I'm wondering if maybe part of the reason, you know, McCartney and probably the other, the other Beatles as well were so upset about this was because, well, not only were they upset in general because they were breaking up, but they knew that this was going to be one of their, their last songs. Hmm in their career and so if it was just being completely you know changed i, I can see how they would be really sensitive so it's them. it's like insult on top of injury like they kind of knew they were breaking up already and this was one yeah. of their last songs and they wanted to make it good and then it just got completely uh hijacked by the specter guy that's yeah. that's a shame i mean i'm not, I'm not a beatles like fanatic so i don't know neither am i I'd, I'd of, just... of the, if this is true but i was gonna say like maybe this was like the last Beatles song that mccartney wrote so, you know, it could have been, and we were, like we were saying before, you know, he went to Scotland and he was really shooken up by all of this. So, you know, this, this could, this could have had like, you know, immense emotional attachment mm. to this. And I can see how he would um, be really upset. Yeah. So, 
but this, this is all history that I didn't know about this song before. Yeah, I didn't either. I guess getting back to Aretha Franklin's cover of it, um, her cover was released on her 1972 album, Young, Gifted, and Black, which I actually own on vinyl. Yeah. Yay. So you yeah. can actually listen to it. I can. I can. The album is certified gold and won her a Grammy Award for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, though, because the album actually features Donny Hathaway on electric piano and Billy Preston on organ. Yeah, so he actually played organ on both versions of this. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Without further ado, let's listen to a little clip of Aretha Franklin's cover of The Long and Winding Road by The Beatles. As with the original version of The Long and Winding Road, it's, it's very mellow, but I think Aretha definitely has a more gospel-tuned sound to it, as she does with a lot of her mm-hmm. uh, a lot of her music. It's a good take on it, and it's good. Yeah, I it's hard. That. It's hard to go wrong with Aretha Franklin. That is the last I think of our Beatles stuff. We covered God, what like at least twenty songs. Probably, yeah, we did like we did about seven, seven per seven episode per episode for three, so that's over twenty. Yeah. Good stuff. This was a cool little, I guess, episode threesome that we did, and I personally enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of cool. I think when I originally was looking for, you know, for the idea of Funk Soul Beals covers, I never would have expected that they were this many. Yeah, really. To fill three episodes worth. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. Mm. And like I said, this isn't all of them, but it's highlights. It's cool because it, it, at least for me personally, it brought to my attention some songs by artists that I like, but songs I don't necessarily think about as much because I'm just like, oh, it's a Beatles cover. Right. But it's really interesting to see just how much each of these artists adds their own personal flair to it and really kind of makes it their own. So yeah. you can appreciate it as a standalone piece rather than just because it was originally done by someone else. Yeah. I always, I think, goes without saying, you know, just the wide spectrum of musical styles that the Beatles have transcended mm-hmm. over time. Because they don't really have that much in common with uh, with funk and soul, but um, you know it works terrifically in some cases here. Indeed, a lot of good stuff. I I, I kind of wish I don't think they have, but it'd be really awesome if they had like some sort of album compilation or with a bunch of different soul artists that covered Beatles stuff. I think there was a Motown one. I was gonna say if anyone would do it, it would be Motown. I think I think it was called like Motown sings the Beatles or something. Okay, that makes sense. I think I, you may have to look that up, but that's at least one example. There might, there's probably others as well. Okay, I can take it. We encourage you, listeners, if you like some of the songs that we played on these episodes, uh, definitely go check some of these out, and also you may be able to find some more others as well that we haven't talked about. Yeah. So this has been the last installment of our Beatles covers Beatlemania episode. This is your host Kyle, and this is your host Peter. We hope you've enjoyed Funk Radio. If you have, like us on Facebook at facebook.com/getyourfunk, and also subscribe to us on iTunes. If you type in funk radio, we're pretty much right there. So yeah, I it's think not that hard. yeah, Peter, didn't you say we're like, if you type in funk radio, we're like the first. Yeah, uh, at least if you search under podcast. Because there's so much. Because there's so many other podcasts named funk radio. Our yeah. our next goal is if you type in funk anywhere in iTunes, we should be the first thing that comes up. Or on Google. Yes, we need to become more famous than Parliament. <laughs> Maybe someday. So yes, we hope you enjoyed. Funk Radio. This was the third and last part of our Beatlemania series. If so you if you really hate the Beatles, we're done! Yes. <laughs> if you missed either part one or part two, please go check those out as well. Yeah, we'll link them along with other stuff. 
Sure. Just so you can listen to all three at the same time if you want. Simultaneously. At the same time. All the Beatles in my ears. <laughs> More like just three versions of me in your ear, which would probably make anybody go insane. Okay, um, that's it. Bye. We love you. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.